All right, well, welcome to another episode of Professor Jay's Classroom. I am Professor Jay, broadcasting live from the great state of Texas. And today, what we want to talk about is a subject that probably is very rarely ever spoken about uh, in American politics or ever really studied in uh, American civics classrooms. Uh, one, because it's, does, it's kind of convoluted. But at the same time, and it doesn't really make sense, um, especially if you're teaching uh, that America is a democracy and not a federalist republic, then it makes it makes doesn't make sense to that narrative. It doesn't make sense to um, it really doesn't fit. And so it's really hard to explain to the American people, because if you're teaching the American people that they live in a democracy and that every vote counts, and that they need to get out there and be active and all those things, which is great because we want people to be active. We want people to go and be part of their community. That's, that's what a vibrant republic looks like. But all of a sudden, this little bitty thing, uh, this little constitutional machination comes in and confuses the snot out of everybody, and that is the Electoral College. All right. Uh, we have members of the Democratic Party, uh, candidates running for the Democratic uh, presidential nomination, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Gillibrand. Uh, we have, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representative of New York, freshman representative of New York, out there calling for the abolition of the Electoral College, saying that it, you know, blah, 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 blah. We'll get into that here in a second. But they don't like it. And why don't they like it? Because, again, it's not a democratic means of electing the president. And yet, this is how we elect the presidency, is through the Electoral College. So, what we're going to be talking about today is, what is the Electoral College? How does it work? And why are the people who are advocating for its abolishment not only motivated more by party politics but also motivated more by giving the mob greater control. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in today's classroom. All right, so what is the uh, Electoral College? Okay, well, it is not a place where electors go and learn about politics and, and the like and then uh, tell us who we should vote for for president. That is not the Electoral College. They're not professors. They're not, it's not an actual college. What it is, is it is a group of electors. Well, what is an elector? An elector is a person who it represents their state's interest in an election. Okay. Um, and through our system of electors, electors are voted for in the state. And they, you can run for the position of elector. All right. And then once you become an elected to that office, it is your responsibility to take who your state voted for in the presidential election and cast those votes in the Electoral College for that person. OK, so and most most states are zero sum states, meaning that if you win their state, all electors go towards you. Okay. Now, how do we determine electors? Well, we determine electors based on population. Okay. Uh, typically, you have 
the same number of electors for the same number of representatives plus two. Okay, so you have, so Texas has 38 electors, or 38 uh, representatives, you have 40 electors. Okay, and so each state has a different number of electors based on population. Okay, and so, and ultimately, in order to win the presidency of the United States, you have to get 200, and in today's elections, you have to get 270 votes out of 435. Okay, out of 435 you have to get 270 elector votes. So Texas has 38 electors. It's based, I'm sorry, I was incorrect earlier. It's not plus two, it's just the number of representatives, the duly elected representatives. So we have 38 electors. You have to get to the magical number, which is 270, okay? This is why whenever you watch the election, it seems like presidential candidates only focus on certain states. It's one of the reasons why if you live here in Texas, you probably don't ever get a Republican nominee to come down here and campaign, or if you live in California, you're not going to get a Republican out there either. Why is that? Well, because here in Texas, a Republican winning is a sure thing. All right. At least for now. All right. There's some machinations going on. We talked about that last podcast, but in California, Democrats and Republicans typically don't campaign out there because the Democrat is going to win. All right, so we, and those are the, in Texas and California are the two largest states um, in the Electoral College. They have the largest representation in Congress. They are the largest electors. Now, so you have to get a combined total of states to equal 270 votes. Once you reach 270 votes, you are now the president-elect. And so that's what we call electoral math. All right, when you are looking at the map, and you're looking at the state, you look at the states that you know you can win, you add those up, you know the states that you're going to lose, you add those up, and if the states that you're going to lose equal over 270 points, then you need to identify the states that you might be able to sway to vote for you, okay? And so that helps, or if it doesn't equal 270, and the amount of votes, the states that will vote for you doesn't equal 270, then the states that are left over are the states that you're going to spend your money on. They're the states you're going to visit. They're the states that you want to get to vote for you. All right, and that's how the presidential election, the general election works. Primaries are a whole other issue with a whole other set of rules, and those rules are set by the parties. All right, and that's one of the reasons why I don't even get me started on the Democratic Party. Their rules are crazy. All right. But that's what, that's what the states look like, okay? And that's what the Electoral College is. Now, the question that's often asked is, do electors have to vote the way that, um, do they have to vote the way that their state votes or that the way that their state voted? No, they don't. According to the Constitution, they are allowed to vote any way that they want to vote. However, will they face sanctions? Can they be impeached as an elector? Yes, they can. So one of the movements... All right, so that's the Electoral College. Now, that doesn't sound really fair to a lot of people. 
because a lot of people think, well, we're voting for president. My vote should count. If I live in one of these states and it, and I voted for, you know, the Democrat and the Republican wins, then my vote really didn't count because my state didn't have enough electors. Okay. Yes and no. If you live in a small populated state, like Texas is smaller than California, California can override Texas vote because we're 40 electors, okay? And they're 52, I think, 53. So if, if that happens, or we're 38 electors and they're 53, I think. So if that happens, then you're absolutely right. Okay, the Democrat won. But that's not because my vote didn't count. My vote did count. My vote told the my vote told the elector how to vote, and they voted accordingly. So my vote counted. I just lost, and losing is part of the part of the, the electoral process. There are winners. There are losers. And just because the system is set up the way it's set up doesn't mean that it's stacked against you and that it's going to hurt you. Because again, think about it this way. If we did away with the Electoral College, then the largest population centers in the country would determine the election every single year. So that means Los Angeles, Houston, New York City, Chicago, those cities would determine the election. And nobody else's vote would really count. Because those cities would then have all the power. Instead, now what we have is that the vote actually counts more because now not only did you vote in the election, your state now represents you in the election. And if your candidate didn't win your state, well, guess what? So sorry. That's part of the votes. Another way to understand it is this. The United States is a country. But it's not one solid country. Think of the United States more like the EU, the European Union. The European Union is made up of a bunch of sovereign nations that agree to come together and work together for economic prosperity. The United States is the same thing. Every state is a sovereign nation. Every state has a constitution. Every state has a parliament. Every state has an executive. Every state operates under its own constitution. And yet, as part of the federal national government, it swears allegiance to the Constitution and to the rights protected therein. Okay? And so the type of government that each state has is representative of the type of government asked for in the Constitution of the United States. Okay? So, if that's the case then guess what? The president is not a representative of the people. He is a representative of the states because he is the federal president. If you want greater control over what's happening to you, 
you need to vote for your governor. You need to vote in these elections that you don't like to vote for. Okay? That nobody goes out to vote for to the tune of like 12 to 15 percent every election is what we call the off-year elections all right if you don't like the way because guess what the state and your local municipality your city your town your county they have a greater impact on you as an american citizen than does the president of the united states and the federal government now, as we put more and more emphasis on the federal government to solve our problems, we give the federal government more and more power to have impact. But still, even as it is today, your local and state governments have greater influence on your day-to-day -day life than does the federal government. Okay? The President of the United States, as per the Constitution, is the executive of the federal government. What is the federal government? It is the government that regulates interstate commerce or interstate commerce, commerce between two states. It also regulates federal regulation on businesses because of interstate commerce. It's all about the interstate commerce clause. This is what gives the federal government power to implement regulations inside the states and to tell the states how to do things, especially if those states receive federal funds which are federal tax dollars, which come from you and me. But this idea that we directly elect the president of the United States or that we should directly elect the president of the United States misses the point of the, of the entire idea of the type of government we are to have. We are not to have a democracy. We are to have a federalist republic. Now, each one of the states are laboratories of democracy meaning we use democracy, they are democracies. And even then, there's still a certain level, a small level of federalism within the states because the states are then broken into counties and those counties are then broken into cities. And each one of those have to deal in, all right? This is, this is a good thing because what it does is it allows government to be manageable. It also allows government to be local. The issues here in Texas are not the same as the issues being faced by people in North Carolina, people being people, people, what people face in Iowa, what people face in Washington State, what people face in California. We all have different needs. We all have different issues. We also have different communities, ways in which we view the world and interact with each other. Trust me, as a Texan who's lived outside of the state of Texas, and lived outside the state of Texas for a significant period of time, I will tell you, I am much more comfortable in the state of Texas than I am when I lived in places like Florida or places like, excuse me, not Florida, Virginia. All right. So understand that that's what we're looking at. Okay. Is that again, we are not a democracy and this is what is confusing people. People from the, from the very beginning of their, school, their education, especially for the last probably 100 years, have been told that we are a democracy. The Founding Fathers never used the term democracy to describe our government. They may have used it to describe, oh, I don't know, the voting process, but they never used it to describe the type of government they established. In fact, they used the word republic, they used the word federalist republic, all right. Matter of fact, the, one of the very first parties 
in the American experiment was the Federalist Party, and then their 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 opponent, the Anti-Federalists. Okay, which later became the Democratic Party. All right, and the Federalists later became the Republican Party. All right, and even the name. Look at look at the emphasis the emphasis in the names of the two parties. One is the Democrat Party, therefore alleging we are de- de- democracy, and the other, the conservative wing, is known as the Republican Party, fighting for republic. All right, and so um, we could talk about the difference between the two. Republic is yes, we use democratic means to elect our representatives, but those representatives then represent us. All right, in making decisions, whereas a democracy is the people make the direct decisions of the for the government, and therefore the best way to describe a democracy is you have you have two wolves and a lamb around a fire, voting on what's for dinner. All right, that's a democracy, and that's why the founding fathers didn't trust democracy because in a democracy, if the majority of the people want to take your house, want to take your uh, bicycle, want to take your whatever, all they got to do is hold a vote and they can do so. All right. And again, so democracy does not protect the natural rights of human beings, yet a republic does. Because in a republic, you have due process. In a republic, the government cannot deprive you of life, liberty, or property without due process as guaranteed in the Fifth Amendment. So, building on that foundation, let's now look at the Electoral College. The Electoral College in itself is a good thing because it prevents the mob and the fiery emotion of the mob, all right? The term lynching actually comes from the the phrase lynch mob, all right? It's what they would do. The mobs would get fired up. They would go and enact vigilante justice, all right? That's the mob. Democracy is the mob. And so... You want a dictator, dictatorship in this country, eliminate any, any of the s- symbols or machinations of republic out of our government and replace it with pure democracy. And I promise you, it will deteriorate into a tyranny. It will deteriorate into, because all it takes is the will of the mob to get rather, you know, get lathered up, all emotional, and vote in one strongman. And then guess what? That strongman then can do whatever he wants. This is why we this is why focusing on a democracy is incredibly dangerous. And why these people so now that takes me to why do we have people wanting to eliminate the electoral college? I will tell you why. It's because in the last 20 years two times the electoral college has elected the president of the United States and both times that party has lost. It happened in 2000 with George Bush, with President Bush. He defeated Al Gore. The Supreme Court had to make a decision because he won the Electoral College. All right. And then again in 2016 with President Trump. So what we have in both times, the other side demanded the Electoral College be eliminated. Well, now we have presidential candidates weighing in on this. We have representatives saying they want it to happen. In fact, uh, the, the gift that keeps on giving, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out of New York, 
called the Electoral College a scam, that the Electoral College dis- disproportionately favors white people because due to severe racial disparities in certain states, the Electoral College effectively weighs white voters over voters of color. Okay, I want you to understand something. There is not a single state in the union where voters of color are the majority. You need to understand that. Voters of color are historically, in every state, the minority. Okay? Now, if you get rid of the Electoral College, it does put greater representation of minorities because minorities typically live in large cities. They're very they're not well represented in the suburbs and in the rural areas of the United States. But what happens is now you're taking the will of the majority and supplanting it for the will of the minority. And that is the very definition of tyranny. So when she's talking about this scam, she doesn't know what she's talking about. In fact, she's probably taking orders from somebody else. All right, and that's a whole nother story at another time. But even someone like Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's running for president of the United States, says every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen is that we have a net, that we have votional, or excuse me, national voting. That means get rid of the Electoral College. Again, we have national voting. And this amazes me that someone like Senator Warren could say something like this because she's, she is an intelligent woman. I'm not going to say that about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because I don't believe Ms. Cortez is intelligent. I don't believe that she's smart. I've seen too many times she doesn't really know what she is talking about. She can play a victim very, very well. And for people on the left, that's great because they have, because they have deified the victim. But Senator Warren is an intelligent woman. She has been a professor. She has been a professor at Harvard. She knows exactly what she is saying when she's saying it. So either this quote from her is a platitude meant to get the radical left and people who are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and are mad at the Electoral College. Either she is playing to them or she believes this. And if she believes this, then she knows the ramification of what such a policy would do to this country, and she's okay with it. Which means then that she really is not about the people, but about power and the accumulation of power and doing whatever necessary to accumulate said power. And honestly, her past actions have demonstrated She's willing to do pretty much about anything for her own self-promotion, including appropriating Native American culture in order to set herself apart to get that choice job at Harvard. 
of which she apologized for, which was nice. That was nice of her to apologize for it. And I think that's, that's good that the Native Americans are willing to forgive her. And I, and I take her at her word in this. I really do believe she is sorry that she did that. But then again, it shows to the character of the person. Okay. And when we look at the Electoral College, the, the Electoral College is actually designed in the 12th Amendment if you look at the 12th Amendment and Article 2 of the Constitution, one of the things you will find is that the Electoral College is designed to keep a tyrant from being elected. It is designed to keep people who want to abuse power from getting elected. Because, if you, because what tyrants can do that makes them very, very effective is they can whip up the emotions and the passions of the people to get whatever they want done. We see that in every single society that has a dictator and a tyrant. And they do so by, once they get power, taking more and more power of the state with them. So again, understand, the Electoral College, it is confusing. It doesn't feel like it's fair. But the reason why it doesn't feel like it's fair is because many of us, including myself, I'll be honest with you, I had to actually go and reteach myself by reading the original documents. But we've all been taught a bunch of lies. And it really stems with this idea that we are a democracy. And you hear it everywhere. So it must be true. Really, really smart people, including some of my professors that I have, including one of my professors that I currently have, refers to our republic as a democracy. You read it in all of our language. You read it in all of our newspapers. You read it in all the scholarly articles. Democracy, 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 democracy. Well, I'll be honest with you. It's intellectually lazy. We are not a democracy. We are a federalist republic. And we are a federalist republic in order to secure liberty, to secure life, and to secure private property rights, which are the legitimate purposes of government. And if the mob is in control, well, we're of the people, by the people, for the people. We the people, you know, people, the power rests with us. Okay, yes, the power does rest with you to a point. But in the creation of the Constitution, as a people, as a citizen of the United States, you gave up some of your power to the government in order to protect your life, liberty, and private property. And as such, you need to understand that yes, you have a selfish interest in certain things and pursuing those interests is a good thing if done with character and with humility. But if you are wanting to rob Peter to pay Paul, then you are going outside of the intended intent of the original consent of the governed which formed this country and outside of the original intent of the covenant that formed this country. And so you need to take that into consideration when you start looking at policy. This is incredibly important because some of the policies that we are wanting to enact as a people because we are riled up right now, because we're scared or we're frustrated, may not necessarily be 
what's best in the interest of our nation. And with that, I say thank you, and I'll see you next time.